At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. As the school year comes to an end, teachers and students in K-12 classrooms across Florida and parents are grappling with new laws about what can be taught and what books are allowed in classroom bookshelves and school libraries. Colleges and universities are also facing big changes as the DeSantis administration rolls out a new vision for higher education. At New College of Florida in Sarasota, that vision has seen an overhaul of the Board of Trustees, the president fired and replaced with DeSantis ally Richard Corcoran, and professors denied tenure. Today on Florida Matters, we'll discuss the impact of culture war issues on teachers, students, and parents. And we'll talk about other big changes in education, like the school voucher extension and what it could cost. For more, we're joined by WUSF's Kerry Sheridan, who covers health and K-12 education, and Kathy Carter, who covers Sarasota and Manatee counties for WUSF and has been reporting on the turmoil at New College. Well, Kerry Sheridan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Kathy Carter, thank you. Thanks for having us. Kerry, let me start with you. You've reported on books being pulled from shelves in schools across the Tampa Bay region in response to new rules about how library and classroom material has to be vetted for, quote, pornographic or inappropriate material. The new rules are being challenged in court, and you reported on one of the lawsuits over House Bill 1467, that's the Curriculum Transparency Bill. What are the plaintiffs saying about that one? Well, the plaintiffs are is now the Florida Education Association. They are saying that the way the state has rolled out the training for this law, which was supposed to just be about curriculum transparency and letting people know what was in school libraries, that the training for media specialists in school districts across the state went far beyond what the law actually stated. So um, they're arguing that the state has adopted an illogical definition of a, quote, library media center that has to be struck down because it includes any collection of books in a school. And uh, this is really brought to the fore the issue of classroom libraries that teachers have. Uh, these are collections of books that they, a lot of times elementary school teachers, but up through middle and high school as well, will gather these books that are subjects that they teach, um, going deeper into subject matters that they are teaching or that are, may be of interest to kids in their grade. So that when a student is done with their work, they can go over to the shelf of books and pick something to read until the next part of the class starts. So a lot of school districts have been confused about how to implement this law that requires every book in a school to be vetted. And as we've seen, um, some school districts have completely closed down these classroom libraries as a result. Right, because essentially there's going to be a bottleneck of every single book in a school that kids have access to has to be looked at by only one or two people, right? Right. And uh, in listening to this case uh, unfold, uh, you know, the, a lot of the people who testified, media specialists and teachers and union representatives, explained that there's not a lot of leeway in their school day as it is. They have a lot of responsibilities. So just having to catalog every book is, you know, very hard to find time to do that. 
So some districts um, are having to pay their media specialists to work over the summer in order to get this job done. Now, some parents groups had also signed on as plaintiffs along with the FEA, the Florida Education Association, but they were removed from the case. What do we know about that? That's right. Within the first hour, they were removed for a lack of standing. The judge felt that their argument that they were being harmed by the fact that their children had access to fewer books in school, that just that argument didn't didn't really show that parents were being burdened by having to provide extra books for their children or being prevented from donating books in school. You know, the judge said, well, you can still donate your books, but if the school doesn't want to take them, that's up to the school. So those arguments were thrown out right away, and the two parent groups were uh, were removed from the lawsuit. Talk just briefly about what this means for the teachers and the schools in terms of workload. Um, what about the students and, and, and parents, though? What does, uh, you know, what, what are they saying about this? Well, the parents who were involved in the lawsuit, of course, are very disappointed, you know, that they their parental rights were not being considered, you know, in a state where the governor often says, you know, has enshrined parental rights into law. They're just kind of pointing out that, well, parents really don't have the rights under the law to, to contest these laws that are supposed to protect parents' rights. And really, I think what it comes down to is that the children who would be most affected by this are children whose parents can't afford to supplement their reading or buy them extra books, really children who may not have the means, you know, to have that extra supplementation in place if their classroom library was removed. And that's another important thing to point out, I think, is that these changes have not been implemented evenly across the state at all. I mean, some schools haven't done anything to their uh, classroom libraries. They've let them stand um, and haven't removed them. Others did, you know, so it's it's really kind of an uneven uh, rollout across the state. Kerry, are you hearing from anyone who agrees with books being removed from libraries and classrooms? Matthew, I think, you know, it's important to point out that I haven't heard of any parents or teachers advocating for pornographic material to be in schools. And these laws are aimed at preventing pornographic material from being in schools. So it is an odd thing to cover when you're, it's, I guess sometimes they call it a solution in search of a problem. You're not seeing parents say, no, we want sexually explicit material in school for our kids what the parents who are against these laws are raising is the issue of the slippery slope. If you start to censor certain materials, where does it stop? And the fact that a lot of times these challenges are being brought against subjects that involve race or LGBTQ issues. So, you know, looking locally at people who do support the removal of books, um, it is a small minority of people. Sometimes they seem to be um, accessing lists that are available online of books that could be questioned and searching to see if they're in their local school libraries. Um, for example, in Sarasota, we also have a case or a couple of book challenges brought by the Sarasota Young Republicans. Um, this is a man in his mid-20s, and he's against two books called Lawn Boy and Looking for Alaska. Both of these are young adult novels with gay experiences described in them. You know, it's it's not a, a groundswell of local parents finding problems in their schools. It tends to be a small number of 
it seems like activists looking for books to challenge. Now, there's another law, HB 1069, the expansion of the Parental Rights and Education Bill. That also includes some more specifics on how books can be removed from classrooms and libraries. Now, Kerry, you talked to Stefana Farrell from the Florida Freedom to Read Project about it. Let's take a listen. The fact that any description or depiction of uh, sexual conduct, including acts of sexual violence, will be grounds for immediate removal of a book. And it is now criteria that would force the removal of a book permanently. When you think about young adult books and pivotal young adult books, and let's just use To Kill a Mockingbird because it is on the ELA best list and it is protected because it is in the Florida standards. There is, you know, in the trial, there is a description of the sexual assault. If that book wasn't on the ELA best list as it is, it would have to be removed from the high school libraries because of this new law, because of that new criteria being added. And so when you think about what that looks like, pivotal books like, for especially for young women, speak about, you know, speaking out about sexual assault and, and sexual violence, those books are going to just disappear from our, our schools. And Possibly even without the the tracking of, you know, a challenge form being submitted, because it now will be the duty of our certified media specialists to ensure that their libraries are in compliance with that law. Kerry, what are these new criteria about how books can be flagged and removed? Yeah, so this is regarding uh, this bill, HB 1069. It prohibits classroom instruction on sexual orientation or gender identity from pre-K through grade 8. So that's rather than kindergarten through grade 3, which was the law last year. And this new law includes a requirement that any books that are objected to on the basis that they contain, quote, pornographic material or describe sexual conduct They have to be removed within five days of that objection and remain unavailable to students until that objection is resolved. So that means that any material in a classroom or that's made available in a school or is on a reading list, if it contains material that's pornographic or depicts or describes sexual conduct, it could be removed. So school districts like Pinellas County, which I've covered um, with their removal of the bluest eye, they've since restored it. You know, their superintendent said recently, 1069 may change how they do things all over again. Because this is, you think about any book that contains a description of sexual conduct, that's a lot of books. How are school boards then responding to the new rules? Are are you seeing some consistency to how school districts that you cover are, are addressing these book bans? I'm not really seeing much consistency at all, really. It really depends on the school district. And I think that these have passed so recently and just been signed into law. Some don't take effect till July. Others are in effect already. A lot of these legislative changes take time for schools, being the big administrative bodies that they are, to figure out how to go about implementing it. So as of yet, uh, we haven't seen a lot of consistency or a standard approach to it. And how about the students? What are you hearing from them or what have you heard from them over the course of the year about this? Well, you know, there are students who are really concerned about these, you know, the political movements in their school that are restricting what they can talk about, restricting relationships with trusted teachers, 
um, you know, there are a lot of students who are very against that and they want to be able to learn and they care about topics related to the LGBTQ community, to the environment, to race and history and all these issues that they, they don't want that to be restricted. Um, and there are, of course, other students who are not yet very affected by it because, as we've mentioned, some of these things are so new that they don't feel that it's really affected their lives yet. And, you know, some students certainly are proud of their academic achievements. They love their friends. They love their schools, and they're proud of them, too. So I wouldn't say it's all gloom and doom in schools, but definitely, uh, you know, the teachers, I think, definitely feel the strain. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're discussing the year in education and the impact of culture war issues on students, teachers, and parents. The conversation continues after the break. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. As the school year comes to an end, we're discussing big changes in education and what it means for students, teachers, and parents. Let's get back to the conversation with WUSF's Kerry Sheridan and Kathy Carter. Now, while K through 12 schools have been grappling with new laws around what can be taught in classrooms, so too have colleges and universities. Last week, Governor DeSantis signed Senate Bill 266, which is the Senate version of House Bill 999, into law on the campus of New College. DEI is better viewed as standing for discrimination, exclusion, and indoctrination. And that has no place in our public institutions. So, Kathy, what is DeSantis referring to and what does this new law do? Right. DEI, as, as you may know, actually stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this new law will prohibit Florida's public colleges and universities from spending any federal or state dollars on DEI programs. The governor also signed uh, into law, which would prohibit Florida's public institutions from requiring students and faculty or staff to take what they so uh, call so-called political loyalty tests. Uh, the governor maintains that this law that he signed will prevent what he calls woke ideologies from indoctrinating students. What does the law not do? Because there were plans for this law. There were a lot of concerns when it was it was floated. What's not in that law? Right. One of the more controversial areas of the original bill, Matthew, would have completely banned certain majors like gender studies. Now, that did not make it into the final version of the bill that DeSantis signed into law. What the law does is it prohibits curriculum and general education core courses. These are the lower level classes that all students have to take to earn their degrees that are, quote, based on theories that systemic racism, sexism, oppression, and privilege are inherent in the institutions of the United States and were created to maintain social, political, and economic inequities. Uh, the law also gives university presidents more power when it comes to hiring, promoting, and even disciplining faculty. And DeSantis said the law will allow the university presidents to run their schools instead of, quote, a cabal of faculty. Uh, the law will be taking effect in July. Right. And that's interesting because we've seen a lot of debate over the appointment recently of university presidents. It seems like there's a lot more politics involved in that. So that could be consequential going forward, depending on who's in charge, I suppose. 
That's right. We are already hearing some talk about Republican State Representative Randy Fine, who is a self-described conservative firebrand, uh, reportedly approached by the governor to become president of Florida Atlantic University. Uh, Fine was a co-sponsor of that parental rights and education law, the one that critics call the Don't Say Gay Law. Senate Bill 266 is what the DeSantis administration was aiming for when he unveiled his plan for higher education back in January. Let's just take a listen to the governor. You see it manifested in a lot of different ways, but more recently you see it manifested in things like DEI bureaucracies. And this is basically a component of the administration within universities that are imposing a political agenda. And alongside the governor at that press conference in January was conservative activist, now New College board member, Christopher Rufo. They take the ideologies of critical race theory, radical gender theory. They divide the world into oppressor and oppressed. And then they actually train students, faculty and staff members here in the state of Florida, that certain people are oppressors, certain people are oppressed. You have also stuff like training kids to, to feel guilt and shame for their white privilege. So, Kathy, what has Christopher Rufo's role been in helping shape this legislation? Very big role. Christopher Rufo is credited with elevating the concept of critical race theory. He helped Governor Ron DeSantis and the administration craft the K-12 legislation that passed in Florida last year. And uh, as you said, he is one of six conservative trustees that uh, DeSantis appointed to the new College of Florida board in January uh, this year, he was influential in the governor's higher ed overhaul. Uh, DeSantis praised Rufo in his recent memoir, and Rufo was by the governor's side when he signed the higher education bill into law last week. Now, he argues that conservatives should not sit idly by while, what he says, activist academic departments push left-wing ideologies this is something that he has taken to other states as well. He publishes uh, on a Substack uh, blog, and he has taken this higher education debate to other states, including California and Texas and in uh, the city of Chicago as well. Now, changes to higher education in Florida have been criticized by groups such as PEN America, a nonprofit that advocates for freedom of expression. Let's just take a listen to PEN America's Jeremy Young. Here he is speaking at a summit on higher education bills. If these laws make it so that only one set of viewpoints can be taught, only one set of viewpoints can be expressed in higher education, then students will graduate not knowing about the world around them, and they will be unprepared to serve as citizens in our democratic society. So, Kathy, what are you hearing from opponents of these bills? Well, the United Faculty of Florida, of course, sharply opposed the measure uh, during this year's legislative session. The union's president uh, said the law shows the governor's, quote, authoritarian approach to education and said that DeSantis and his supporters uh, in the legislature have decided that the state has the right to control and compel viewpoints. There was a, a higher education summit at New College of Florida several weeks ago. Uh, Jeremy C. Young, who we just heard, said that Florida at that time when he was here uh, a couple of weeks ago was at the epicenter of educational censorship. They have been very vocal in opposing this bill, which is now law. Now, New College uh, has seen profound changes, a complete overhaul of the board, the firing of the president, the appointment of DeSantis's ally and former education commissioner Richard Corcoran as president, and the transformation of New College has been met with protest, as we've talked about. Here's former Democratic state lawmaker Carlos Guillermo Smith. 
Well, I think it's really important for folks to understand that this fight to save New College is about so much more than just this one school. This is about DeSantis taking away our academic freedoms of all college and university students, of all college and university professors. And he's starting here with New College as his test run. And here's a parent of a New College student speaking after the first Board of Trustees meeting. What happened here today is a charade, and if this can happen here, this can happen anywhere. And every parent across America and every educator should be concerned. You've got DeSantis with national ambition. Godspeed, let him go away. Get out of Florida. Him and Trump can eat each other alive, okay? But leave our kids alone. So, Kathy, why has the DeSantis administration focused on New College? As you heard from former Representative Carlos Guillermo-Smith, it was because uh, New College is one of the, well, it is the smallest university in Florida's uh, public education system as far as colleges and universities go. So he, in his mind, that's why they targeted New College of Florida. The, the quotes that we just heard were from the very first Board of Trustees meeting when all of the new conservative members were there and fired then-President Patricia Oker. So that was very uh, a passionate day. There was a rally that day. There had been many rallies at New College of Florida before the Board of Trustees meetings. The quotes we heard were from the, uh, the very first one. And we've been hearing from, or you've been hearing from staff and students uh, about the changes. What are they saying? Oh, well, this has just been a whirlwind. Uh, this was announced, the, the changes were announced with the conservative trustees in January, and here we are in May, and there just have been so many changes, a complete 180-degree turn from what this uh, small liberal arts college in, in Sarasota was. So you have to think if you're you know, a high school senior and you're visiting colleges, you choose the college you're going to go to because you visited it, you feel like you'll fit in there, it's it's part of your culture, and now it's completely turned around. When I was at the last board of trustees meeting when they denied tenure to five professors that had already gone through the whole tenure process and uh, were approved for tenure by every other step besides the board of trustees signing off on it, one of the original board of trustees members, who is also a, a professor at the school, stood up and said, I, I just can't do this anymore. The way this uh, board is moving, I just don't feel comfortable being part of this, and I'm also leaving the college. Both the parent we heard from and former state representative Carlos Guillermo-Smith talked about how new college should be a warning to other colleges. What can you tell us about how what's happening at New College fits into what we're seeing and learning about other colleges and universities. Sure. So opponents of this legislation say that New College was just the start. In fact, Governor DeSantis has said he is going to allocate $30 million to a civics institute at the University of Florida, where former Republican Senator Ben Sass is the school's new president, so he can recruit new faculty. It includes money for a, a civic center at Florida State University, Florida International University. So a lot of money is coming into Florida's public institutions. And as the governor appoints some of his allies in these roles as presidents, what's happening at New College with the conservative ideology could happen at other colleges in the state as well. Kerry, we've seen school board races become increasingly partisan in the last year or so. What are some of the bills from the legislative session that address the politics of school boards? 
Right. Well, there is a move toward making school boards more political, and it, it really does go against what the founding fathers wanted for schools, um, you know, what a lot of people who study, you know, education say, um, politics really should be kept out of schools, but we are seeing this push toward more uh, politics into schools. Uh, we had three bills this year that were furthering the school. One was House Joint Resolution 31, calling for specifically partisan elections for school boards. Uh, that has never been the case in Florida, although increasingly over recent years, we've known a lot of voters know which party their school board candidates belong to. But uh, on its face, school boards are supposed to be nonpartisan. Uh, so this would be an amendment to the state constitution that would require people to vote on whether we want members of school boards to be elected in partisan elections. Another thing that became law was uh, new term limits for school board members. Instead of 12 years uh, maxing out, uh, they will now max out at eight years. That becomes effective in July. We've talked on Florida Matters with political reporters about the new school voucher expansion, one of the biggest pieces of legislation out of the session. The estimated cost is one of the biggest question marks too hanging over that expansion. Estimates are in the billions, but what does it look like on the county level? How are the school districts that you cover preparing for it? Well, that's a great question, and I think it's really going to be the focus of our reporting over the next year or two is seeing how districts uh, cope with this. You know, districts can move money around to, for, to a certain extent um, if they need more funding in certain areas. Sometimes they can find it. But what people who are in the know about uh, this are saying is it could really have a devastating effect on public education. These vouchers, uh, as part of HB1, this is one of the first bills that was signed into law this year regarding education, means that every student K-12 through in Florida, regardless of income, could get a voucher worth $8,500 to attend the private school of their choice. Um, and that this will um, siphon money off of public schools, and it could reach $4 billion according to the uh, uh, Kids Count and the Florida Policy Institute who are looking at this. Even locally, we had Addison Davis, who's the superintendent of Hillsborough County Public Schools, you know, saying in February that the voucher expansion could potentially cripple public education. So uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. So I want to ask you both uh, what you're going to be paying attention to over the summer and ahead of the start of the new school year. Um, Kathy, what are you looking out for over the next few months? Well, we'll be looking at the enrollment numbers for the new class of New College of Florida. President Richard Corcoran uh, says the numbers uh, look good, but we have not been able to find out what those numbers are. Uh, there are sources inside New College that say the numbers are being inflated, uh, but we'll have to wait and see uh, how that enrollment goes. Of course, there are uh, many pathways now for students to uh, get scholarships to New College. They're hoping that will boost enrollment. They're also adding athletics hoping that you know, uh, having an athletics program will bring in a, a new type of a student to new college. So of course, we'll be following that. And uh, the hiring as well, because uh, as I mentioned, I, I have already heard of several professors that are leaving new college. Will it be enough that it's going to cause some problems if they're not able to recruit people uh, for the next school year in just, in just a couple of months? And what are the, the students that are sophomores and, and juniors going to do? Are they going to stay at new college or are they going to transfer out? Kerry, what about you? What are you looking out for over the summer? 
Well, uh, yeah, like Kathy said, enrollment's also going to be of interest in K through 12, um, looking at how the school voucher program affects uh, student enrollment in public schools and private schools. Another interesting thing I think uh, be looking at is how many lawsuits are coming out um, as a result of all these new education laws in Florida. Um, last year, the Florida legislature budgeted a million dollars to the amount that state taxpayer of state taxpayer dollars that would be used to fight lawsuits coming out of the legislature. And this year, they raised that amount from one million to six million. So that indicates to me that the administration expects more legal fights ahead, and we'll be following them. We've been speaking with WUSF's Kerry Sheridan, who covers health and K-12 education, and WUSF's Kathy Carter, who covers Sarasota and Manatee Counties. That's Florida Matters for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.